Hello, welcome to the fourth and bonus episode of the Beyond Better Project podcast. Whether you're choosing to join us from near or far, we welcome you to come as you are to explore the intersections of medical humanities and disability studies. I'm your host, Sophia Lockwood, one of the current interns at the Beyond Better Project, who will be guiding you through our pilot episodes. On this episode, we'll be getting a little meta, which is an important piece to the work that I'm currently doing. When I say meta, I'm not referring to the idea that everything we've done so far is fictional. Instead, I would like to acknowledge what it means for me to make a podcast for the purpose of adding a conversation to disability studies. I want to ask questions of what goes into this process, what makes this work more helpful or harmful, and how public history can work to improve its inclusion of disability studies. This may feel true for every era, but I believe I'm living in a time where disabled people are more visible than ever before. And yet, while representation is exciting and important, it is not enough. I want and expect more. We all should expect more. We all deserve more. There must be depth, range, nuance to disability representation in media. This is the current challenge and opportunity for the publishing industry and popular culture at large. Alice Wong, Disability Visibility. So we should probably talk about how I ended up at the podcast. And that was primarily because I got the opportunity to start my own project. But the intent was primarily for dabbling and understanding the world of public history through podcasting. If you have any semblance or connection to this world, you know that public historians are taking podcasting or the podcast world by force. Without a doubt, some of people's favorite podcasts are public historians using the things they know to help others understand history. And one of my favorite podcasters or scholars of history, Alison Horrocks, co-creators of the American Girls podcast, puts in a way that I think everyone can understand. It breaks the divide. People who stereotypically think history is boring are able to obtain history in a way that's comedic and fun and interactive, but they also don't realize that they're being taught by really cool educators who are experts in really broad fields to really niche fields. And they're also getting a chance to understand the historical process, which makes it even more engaging. And because of this, podcasts have been used as a great tool to allow everyone to contribute like what they know and to also gain something that they didn't know. When I created the podcast and throughout the process of making the podcast, I found myself on both sides of the table that Horrocks is talking about. On the one hand, as a practicing historian, baby historian here, um, I found myself wanting to create an educational tool for people to understand how COVID was not a life or death sentence And instead, we were seeing parallels of um, post-polio and the 1918 influenza showing up in some of the things that we're seeing. And right, I think as a participant, I found myself really digging in to what disability studies is with the questions I was asking, with the material that I was working with, the people I was interviewing with. I was a full participant in this history and how... I wanted to create the story. What would I want other people to know? What do I think other people would have questions about? 
And in those ways, I was very much a participant in creating this oral history. Justice is also about agency and self-determination, right? And people have understanding that we are all empowered um, to change our lives and to change behaviors and to transform the culture that we live in. Uh, disability justice is also trying to transform the culture that we live in to be, you know, bigger and allow for more agency and self-determination from more of us. So that intersection is a super sweet spot because, yeah, we're all fighting for that same thing, which is that we get to exist in the world without fear of harm just because of who we are or how we move through the world. As someone with, um, who is neurodivergent and with disabilities, um, like a, a lot of how I entered into this work was through my own lived experience of trying to A, be accountable to my community and be able to show up for my community as someone who you know, very frequently has to take moves back because of how my mind and my body function. Um, but also for care to become a collective thing. Disabled folks, you know, we've never been able to rely on uh, a lot of the systems that are in place or those systems have been incredibly harmful to us. That was a clip from Elliot Fukui for the Bernard Center of Women. And I think his words are incredibly important to something that I navigated throughout the time of creating this podcast, which is people are essentially more than their labels, but they are also their identity. And to, to reduce harm, you have to respect both of those things. And so let's talk about the labeling, right? And... You know, Elliot says that he's neurodivergent and he's disabled and these two things intersect. And, but he's also more than that, right? And so I think in approaching this history and me approaching it through this context, I had to acknowledge that the people that I was interviewing were more than just their COVID diagnosis or more than just whatever happened to them. They're also a human who is experiencing something and they just happen to be as we all are, historical characters. And so it's important to care for that situation, but also to care for the person when approaching this history. And in the same way that we understand identity, I think it's important to understand that through oral history, we get a better sense of who someone is outside of we're, we're given the privilege of understanding more about who someone is that we might not understand in the text. And I think the utilization of that is super important because you still want to provide context. You still want to give that person agency and a choice. And even something simple as when I approach my interviews, I reminded everyone that even though they had signed a form saying that I could use their audio, I also wanted to emphasize that this was their interview and this was their history. And I think in creating an inclusive history, you have to remind people, specifically within the context of oral history, that their agency is important. And this is also their history. And just because it's happening does not mean that it doesn't reserve, like, deserve that respect and that dignity. And another piece to harm reduction is that I believe the storytelling aspect gives people the agency that they're looking for. Um, part of oral history is that an interview is asking 
questions and those questions are tell to what someone wants to know. Um, and the goal is to limit that as much as possible, which is something that I attempted and tried throughout this process. And it's really difficult because one, you want to affirm someone and on the other side, you, you, you're curious, you want to know things. Um, but in the same way, allowing for this to be a storytelling aspect where both the interviewer and the interviewee can have the space to explore whatever concept what it is. And so in this case, for me, it was COVID. And throughout the Beyond Better project, you know, I wanted to make the people that I was interviewing comfortable. And I also wanted to ask critical questions that would contribute to the history. But in, at the end of the day, what's really important there is that I'm allowing the interviewee to have the agency to guide where that story is going. And what I think and what I feel does not matter. Which I think is a really hard concept to understand because when we're working with written histories, it's it's a lot easier to say like, well, I can't, you know, add anything because historical context and I can't force anything because it's already written. And even though oral history is an active participant or an active participation, the same rules still apply. I really like separating out impairment from disability. So impairment as, you know, like physical or neurological manifestation, like what's real, I have a physical impairment. And then disability is like what society creates as barriers because of the impairment. Mm -hmm. So like, as you're saying, if we're in a place with where my access needs are getting met, then my impairment isn't so significant. Um, but when it's not because society doesn't want to, then that's the problem. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to really think about like disability and the context of what is disabling like the environment. That was another clip from the Bernard Center for Research on Women, and that was Stacey Milburn discussing how her body is political and how, while she might have an impairment, the world has created a disability for her. While this is a very genius thought, I also think that it can easily be applied to how public historians work. Today, like public history is known as a discipline that works to create inclusive spaces inside and outside of academia. And a lot of this work happens within communities where public historians go out and ask communities what they want and what they need. And I mean, the whole, their whole purpose serves to like break the narratives and practices that were once exclusionary. And it isn't a perfect practice, but it doesn't have a full fledged out identity. Public history has not always been this front runner, though. And in terms of disability studies, they failed. You know, their practices, their previous practices included many forms of ableism and discriminatory practices that if we saw today, we would be appalled. And I mean, in short, these public historians were working within their historical framework, which is no excuse, but in more times than not, they perpetuate stereotypes instead of reality. As we move into a space where people with disabilities are allowed to take part in public history, and I use, I, I use that word choice allowed because I feel like that hasn't always been the case. 
we as the people who are able-bodied need to do the work to make sure that we are not contributing to more ableist ideas and that we are reducing the ability to create more disabilities like Stacy said and to do that I think it starts with like the physical right so making sure that the public places that we gather and show history or people are allowed to collect history and observe it are accessible I think in the world of podcasting and what I'm doing I think that starts a lot of intentional work beforehand And I emphasize this because podcasting is one of those things where people can just jump in and do it, right? You find something that you're really interested about and you just talk about it for hours. And we've seen just the magnitude of people who are interested in podcasting because they find it, whether listening or participating, because they find it so easy to either talk and listen to and to operate in these spaces where they're learning new things. But just in the way that we wouldn't ask uh, a scholar of African-American history to come and talk about slavery in, in, in America without doing that work first. Like, we would never ask someone. We don't want to ask people to just come and speak about things that have a deep entrenched history. And so when I navigate this podcast, it wasn't something I just jumped into Right. We had a whole entire syllabus that I work through processing disability history and this, the history of medicine and the ways and the the ways that I would have to confront. Right. These narratives of what disability studies was in the past and the ways that we failed um, as a society and, and even the ways that we continue to fail. And I had to acknowledge, like, things that were going to come up within this process. So, like, the ablest, nabl- the ablest narratives that I myself was performing, the unconscious, unconscious bias that I was performing, and how could I combat that in a way that allowed for my vehicle of a podcast to be um, a place of mobility and a place of allowing people to be included in a history and not as a performative aspect um, or even like performative activism, but in a way that allowed for both me and the participant to, participant to, to contribute in a history in a meaningful way. this concludes our pilot episodes and I hope that you're not tired of the sound of my voice at this point. What I hope more is that this challenges you to see how ableism persists in our communities, in our world. And maybe you can think about the ways that you can reduce harm in your community. I also hope the moments of my podcast have allowed you to process and understand the last year through the eyes of others. And seeing that we're still in a pandemic at this time, I hope that You're able to make connections to where you want to go from here or where we can go from here. 
Thank you for listening to the Beyond Better Project Pack podcast. I'm your host, Sophia Lockwood. And if you're interested in any of this, please check out our Instagram at the Beyond Better Project on Instagram. Until next time.